Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Art Close, a recently retired director of logistics education for Guilford County Schools in Greensboro, North Carolina, and an award-winning educator at the undergraduate and graduate level in operations management, mathematics, and strategic planning. We discuss the evolution of collaboration within the education sector and also share some ideas on governance and the art of people management. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture within modern work. And my guest today is Arthur Close, Art. I've known for many, 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 many years, and a few years on top of that, uh, was actually one of my professors uh, and advisors back during my MBA in the late 90s, and we've stayed in touch. He's recently retired but he was the director of logistics education at Guilford County Schools based out of uh, is it Greensboro. Where, where specifically in North Carolina? Hey, Greensboro is about the center north of, uh, we're less than an hour from Virginia. And it's, a, uh, it's off of 85, less than an hour to 95, which makes it a major logistics hub for the entire East Coast. Excellent. Which is why the, our high school is the thing that had logistics. It is- and it's good to talk about driving uh, in directions on a global podcast. <laughs> yes. Very good. Yeah. So, I, so I know you're involved in a bunch of other things. When, when we first met, and you were teaching at, at, you know, at the program at, you know, at night school and stuff, you were over at United Airlines. What were you doing over there? I was doing logistics for them and then uh, helping to get, coordinate supply chain and working. We did jet engine shop and then eventually moved on over to their wide body maintenance. So I was working mostly with the maintenance department for them. Did the analysis, uh, helped set up, find new vendors to take care of the repairs, uh, worked with the engineers to develop new techniques, and then eventually moved into the reliability engineering department, which nobody really knows what that means, but the short version is, to make sure that things are working the way they're supposed to and anything that doesn't is being tracked appropriately. Yeah, I, you know, from back from that class, I think I still have my book from that class that I've been able to go back and use as a resource. There's only like three or four books that I, I kept from that MBA program, but it was the MBA in technology management. So you had a lot of people that had logistics and engineering uh, you know, uh, careers they were already in the middle of. And I, of course, at the time mm-hmm. was working as a technical PM for Southwestern Bell, or I guess Pacific Bell still at the, at the beginning of that. I think we went through the acquisition while I was in the program. So Southwestern right. Bell bought us and then they bought AT&T and now it's all AT&T. But I was doing like data center consolidation projects and owning all the front end applications, business objects, SaaS and other tools on the front end of these uh, marketing centric data warehouses. So yeah, that that's uh, it's a fun world to go back and look at how much has changed. One thing, the, the topic today I wanna get into, uh, is so you have background in, in education as a teacher, you know, but also around the technology that was utilized along the, the way with the different programs. So you did, you've done things at the grad, at graduate school, you've done at the uh, high school level as a teacher, and then working with the district and, and the programs and the tools around those things. Um, 
how much has changed around collaboration for education? It has become, a, we've changed things an awful lot over the last few years. Um, when I first got into it, a lot of responsibility was on the students uh, to be able to make sure that they could adapt to the teacher that was in the classroom. Yeah. A lot of it was that, so if you're going to put 30 kids in the classroom, that teacher can't teach each of them as though they were an individual, especially right. when as we hit it, like for instance, high school, or even when we were in college and graduate school. And I taught 25 different courses at the college and graduate school level. I was one of the top professors that way mm -hmm. in the fact that I had enough experience in a wide range of things. And when we first started, we went in and I, you had a textbook, I had a laid out program that needed to be covered. You had assigned weekly readings and writing and tests that you had to take. Then everything transferred to the point where it had to be uploaded by the student. And we right. had to have that written record so for a little while there, I ran into a problem where I was having the students send me their assignment that was going to be due that week. If I got it early, I was the kind of teacher who would say, I'll just print it out, I'll grade the thing, and I'll hand it to you that night. So yeah. you don't have to wait a week to get the feedback on it, right? Yep. yep. Well, eventually, the uh, administration showed up and said, um, you're not posting your graded papers and I said, you don't have a way to scan them in. And they said, you're still grading them by hand? And I said, it's much more efficient than me sitting there doing it the other way, All right? I said, you know, when we have to do this uh, student by student online, I've got grading systems I can put in there, but now I'm using canned responses. And instead of me writing something that I know this student personally, and I can write it in a certain way, I have to hit a canned response to say to them, you missed the point or you forgot to back this up. There's not a way I could do that. And so eventually I was adapted into some of this because I could take them and say, all right, well, if you give me a canned response and then I can add stuff to the canned response. But these adaptations have occurred over the decades that I've been teaching. Yeah. And that those uh, there's a lot to be said for it because it's easy for the administration to go back but I'm getting the opinion now that we are spending a lot more time proving to the administration that teachers are doing their job and a lot less of the administration helping teachers do their job. Yeah, yeah, there's, I, I, there's a lot that we can unravel from this. I mean, it, you know, I mean I, starting back for, again, in the late 90s with a lot of the, the technology around this and how it's evolved and changed. I mean, we didn't have any of the tools in place. It was, I mean, maybe you could go to a site and you could get the curriculum, you can download the syllabus or it's posted there and other attachments there and things were sent by email. Like we started, we realized very quickly that none of our corporate email systems could support the file size of what we were sharing um, right. just in our project teams. And so we started um, one of the, one of our little team, our group uh, for our uh, MBA uh, set up an FTP server. So we could actually dial in, we had a little setup, you know, minimal setup for this little, you know, to, to basically, you know, post and pull back down the latest version. We'd still have to email and sync on who has it? What are you working on? What, what's being edited? Hey, I'm doing this. All right, I'm going to go check it out right now. I mean, that kind of coordination. Um, and there was an interesting thing 
that happened, I think in the middle of our program. So in around 98, we discovered or was launched was Groove. So Ray yes. Ozzy coming out of IBM and created Groove. And of course, uh, Microsoft ended up buying Groove and hiring Ray Ozzy. And he was there for a couple of years. Um, but Groove helped so much from a collaboration. So we started using even in class, you know, sitting there logged in on with Groove and uh, and doing some little chat and and things in between to, towards the end there, you know, uh, it was almost kind of a you know advance a preview of some of what we'd go on to do. Now, working in the corporate world, I mean, one of the things, and we were sharing this before we started recording, is that you know being so close to Microsoft and uh, the product teams and Microsoft Teams, you know, specifically being an MVP and being aware of some of the features, what's coming and things for uh, this past year would always get surprised, like see questions and be doing a panel or an AMA of some kind and see a question around teams. I'm like, I have no idea what that person's talking about. And it, it dawned on us after a while that uh, there's a separate instance of teams for education. Just And just for the high school educators get a slightly different version than the uh, elementary schools get. Uh, it ha has to do with the way that you're going to be interacting and the ability to put stuff up, record stuff. Yeah, I mean, we had to be very careful about what was being done. Like, for instance, we had to be real careful if the if it was being recorded and you had a child who's under 18, which is almost everybody in high school and going down. Right. If there's something happening in the back of the uh, behind them. Right you'd have to be able to turn off that kid's uh, the video going for that. Yeah. And then you'd have to go back and edit that out. Right. Oh, you wow. had, or you say, right. There's all these little things that had to be done because we're dealing with legal requirements that don't fit adults working together. Yeah. Right. I, ha I have to say, that, uh, you know, every time this, this happens where, because one thing that was happening, of course, you had like the, the zoom bombing adventure that happened. Yes. Some of the videos, a lot of fun. I had one experience with that where it wasn't my meeting where they had foolishly posted out on like Facebook or tweeted out, Hey, I'm, we're doing this. Anybody can come join. And anybody did come join. That's for sure. And they had some colorful things to say about that. And, and while, you know, teams didn't quite have that same experience, it's a bit more locked down. One thing that we did see, so I want to get your opinion on that, on the Zoom bombing. But then the other side of that is that what uh, the other pattern that we saw was educators that were confused. And just like I was confused and seeing the questions from the teams, they would be like, well, I see that teams, I re read about it and I can do this at work. Why, or, or you know, with my other version of it, why can't I do this? What's wrong with my, you know, with my system? Exactly. Because the other thing that happened within the education system is although we got it, we didn't have enough time to really train it. So what would happen is somebody, normally a, what they would call a curriculum facilitator at the school, who's there to help the teachers figure out how to do stuff and to make sure the teachers are doing a good job, would sit and record and say, all right, someone asked a question, how do we do this? Let me show you step-by-step step how that is done, right? Another person has asked, can I do this? And the answer is no, you can't do that. 
but here's the reasons why we won't let you do that. Even though some of you have said, well, wait a minute, I, you know, my, my husband or my wife can do this at work on Teams, why can't I do it here? Well, because we have legal requirements, because we're dealing with people who are under 18 years old and technically not adults. And it did cause, I mean, what we asked the teachers, if you remember at the very time, March back in 2019, when we threw everybody out of school, 2020. Yeah. 2020. I know. Okay. Time anyway. doesn't matter so much anymore. That's the one that I've decided. Like I, I was, so, I just did this today where I'm just like, was that Tuesday? Was that Monday? So that's right. Like two Mar weeks ago. I'm thinking know. of it as school years. It yeah. was a 1920 school year, but it was okay. March of 2020. Okay. So we had, uh, when they came up and they said, you know, teachers are trying to learn all of this on the fly and you've got to get this together. And you're, and in addition to that, you're doing the full-time job you had as a teacher. Uh, teams made things much easier for us for doing certain things, but we still had a lot of issues with the fact, for instance, we couldn't ask a student to turn on their camera. And so what you would get is you would get a disc that would say maybe the student's initials, or you get a disc and a phone number underneath and you're hoping, I hope this kid is supposed to be part of my class. And we came yeah. up with security systems for that. At, but you as a teacher are trying to figure out how to do the security systems and record the videos and then add new technology. And it did become quite something. And it's really amazing how fast the rest of America forgot how much we asked of teachers at that time. Oh, yeah. Well, and so a lot of it, too. And another comment you made before we started recording was, you know, like the pace of change and the innovation that happened. And certainly like like I, I'm Microsoft centric. So, I'm you know, in that world, in that ecosystem. And so I'm just, I'm very aware on the ground. And this, but this happened with, with a number of competitors as well, the, the pace of change. And I don't think anybody could be prepared for uh, the, the, the volume of concurrent users on these systems. I always comment that, you know, when you go to a large conference, we've been doing tech conferences for years. I've been attending them as a regular part of my life for the last 12, 11 years been a major part of my life is traveling the world going to conferences one thing that i've learned is no matter how much planning is in place the wi-fi on day one sucks it's a terror it's a terrible thing and the first day of school i had a running joke that for guilford county schools the biggest surprise in their entire academic calendar was the first day of school with kids hmm. and it really blossomed as soon as we opened up and said, all right, we're gonna do this online teaching, it crashed faster than a drunken driver. Yeah, there, you know, there's just, there's no way you can replace like the real world experience around that. It's not like we, we haven't seen similar patterns in software development, no matter what it is that you go and you do the maximum amount of, uh, of, of testing, of, of market analysis, and, but until you have those real world experience and go and test that out, you can pilot it. But even then, if it is beyond the scope of that, I mean, when, when we were designing what is now Office 365 and the server footprint, people would be shocked at what we were putting in place because we just, we had to prepare for capacity at the larger side. We couldn't, you know, you couldn't have the max number of people in there and then the system peter out. You know, you have to be able to have those spikes. And so for us to do it, it was still, 
basically an on-prem SharePoint world that we were and exchange and the other servers. And so we'd have like a, you know, a 20,000 person company, there'd be like 15 to 20 servers that we would have to provision just for that single customer. And that was at max capacity. So most of them were grossly underutilized. Now, obviously the moving towards the cloud, that's one, the, we get the, the true economies of scale by being in the cloud around a lot of those these systems. Now, having said all that, we all experience the same things, whether it's Zoom or Slack or Teams or whatever it oh, was. We tried every one of them. Yep. This year or this semester, we're going to do things on Slack. Next semester, we're not using Slack anymore. We've decided to go to this one. Yeah. And the teachers are looking at them going, you really got to stop doing this because it <laughs> takes too much time to sign it in. Plus, my phone is four years old and it won't let me keep opening brand new apps. Yeah. Right. And the darn thing is starting to get overloaded. Yeah. And the little kids. And that was another thing. We had it online, but it turned out we didn't have Wi-Fi everywhere in the county. So now we've decided to make buses carry a Wi-Fi signal and we send them into a middle of a neighborhood. Wow, really? And then the kids would send out that. Then we didn't have enough computers. So instead of giving teachers a raise, we went out and bought laptop computers for every kid, told yeah. them that they're going to need to return them. Ah, <laughs> and there's an awful lot of laptop computers out there that were paid for by our taxpayers. Yeah. And now our private property. Now, I mean, I, I can see that it might even make sense for a partnership for uh, school districts with local stores and coffee shops and other places to make sure that, you know, to pay for or expand, you know, Wi-Fi. And, and so, I mean, it would be a good partnership thing to say, hey, these are zones where we're making sure that uh, in libraries is the natural one. Um, you know, find, find a library. Limited seating. And when Correct. you start thinking there are, we have 1,400 students in my high school alone. Right. We don't have enough libraries in this city to seat right. 1,400 well, students Well, that's alone. why there, I think it needs mention, to be a combination. It needs to be a combination of other, uh, uh, like coffee shops and other places where they could go. But, but to give you an idea, just our school system is 70,000 students. Seven zero thousand. Start putting coffee shops, uh, Wendy's hamburgers. Everybody, no, it would be the whole day. They would use up as much of the bandwidth as they possibly could. So yeah. we had to come up with different ways to make this work, and then we also had to be able to understand that we had a few hundred students fall through the crack, couldn't get to it. Now, how do we handle those? Technology is a wonderful thing and it is fantastic when it's working. Yeah. But the logistics of making it work is a real challenge in many cases. Well, and we have a problem that there are a lot of people who don't think about the logistics. They just figure they can do it. Well, you know, one of the things, and you and I have talked about this for, for years. Can we say, yeah, we could say decades, decades now. Yeah, decades ahead of the conversation is a question about what governance is. Governance is, uh, there's a lot of ways to define that. And of course there's corporate governance and IT governance and kind of all those different things. But you think of governance in a broader terms. Uh, and from a management perspective, you have a system, you have a set of requirements. 
where the system does not meet the requirements, governance is required to help fill the gap. Whether it's manual process, whether it's the addition of a you know, new technology, where it's managing you know, the, the user expectations, the, the end user experience, employee experience. I mean, all those things. That's what governance is. It's, it's managing the gaps. And so when you think of collaboration and, and the massive amount, I mean, there, there are, I mean, Microsoft has, I don't know what the current employee number is, like 140,000 or something like that. So it's twice as big as your school district. But I imagine that there's not a lot of difference between 70,000, 140,000 and the needs of, of, of collaboration among its participants. And you have a- Communication is a big deal. And that communication is terribly critical within our education system and people having to learn how to use it. You're on the phone at 10.30 at night talking to a parent and explaining to them how to sign their student in, even though you gave the student all those instructions earlier in the day. Yeah, yep. And now you're doing it with the parent because the parent is of the, the kid said it's too hard and didn't do it. Right. But I need that kid signed in. And so as we do this, trying to get those students to get where they needed to be, it was a, a huge effort of just like, as you mentioned, trying to get a department within a corporation. And you and I talked decades ago about Deming and yep. this idea of profound knowledge. What is the stuff that you need to do that will help the whole rather than just this group? And where is the efficiency have to be? So that always reminds me of, it's one of the visuals that I got out of the book, uh, The Goal by Eliahu Goldratt. Yeah. Is the uh, is the scout leader and hiking uh, across the like the marshy areas? So they had to go single file. They the slowest kid, and they you know where to put him uh, in the line. You only went as fast as the slowest kid because you weren't allowed to lose him or let him get eaten by an anaconda. Exactly. And having been in that scenario, and having a moose charge me, and my buddy and I realizing my younger brother that we brought with us was in front and was the slowest. We got very angry very, very quickly. <laughs> the moose halted, by the way. So it, you know, we didn't get, but uh, tell you it's one of the scariest things in my life. If you've never been face to face in the, the wild, 2000 moose, pound moose? No, I, how I big they are. That. Like they're, they're like, I've, I've been around Clydesdales and things. I mean, they're just giant. Yes. They're, they're bad there. But then we take a look, looking at this education system. Again, the class is now only moving as fast as the slowest student, the one who needs the most help. And you're, you're losing kids because, remember when I said that they didn't turn their cameras on? Right. So what is the kid doing behind the little circle that says their initials? They're looking at their phone and playing a video game. Of course. And you know that because you said, Mike, Mike, are you there? Mike? Can you turn your mic on and talk to us? Microphone on, Mike. Yeah. Mike, right? And the, there were the jokes about seances, you know, when you're teaching. Yeah. It's just the same. You know, is somebody there? Can you, can you <laughs> give us a sign you're alive or that you want to communicate with us? Yeah. It was a real challenge that came into that. But on the other hand, teams made some things so easy for us that we could actually do the school. And if this pandemic had happened in the 1990s, there would have been nothing. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. We would have been mailing stuff home 
they would have been dropping it off at the school. We would have been grading it on the weekends, trying yeah. to get and so, figure out who forgot to turn one in. So I, I, I get that knowing what we know now, if we were in the 90s, the technology, but I think you'll agree that if this pandemic had happened in the 90s, this pandemic would not have happened in the 90s because we didn't have the news cycle hysteria and all the you social media the part to drive where people it. told each other lies and made yeah. it worse. Yeah. Little, little things like that. So yeah, that, yeah, you're right. Without this ability to have been able to take an, an untruth, let's just outright call it a lie, yeah. Yeah. and turn around and say, hey, I have an idea. Let's see how many people will follow this stupid idea I just came up with. And then it turns out, unfortunately, there are a number of them and there are fellow Americans and you're looking and going, maybe there should be something to help us figure out who's who. But yeah. Yeah. in any case, with the schooling, the technology has made that some things really possible, but we're not there yet. And the fact that because we can't get everybody to the same level of technology, yeah. because the technology changes so fast that you have to continuously retrain yep. or add something. I used to be a grandmaster of Excel. Right. I did it for United Airlines and I set it up the budget for the jet engine shop. We Was are that back with its proprietary macro language and all that? Like I used to know that really well. And now I go into Excel and go, where's the button? Yeah. <laughs> where where well, did they file this now? What is it that this thing is supposed to do? And the same thing is happening when we go in. You, yeah. you, you could have done this in Teams the first semester, but now we've changed it and we change it for a good reason. Oh, you yeah. talked about that Zoom bombing. You know, there were kids we would get online and that kid couldn't pass a test if you gave him all the answers, but that kid could come up with a creative name that when you pronounced it, it was clearly something you didn't want to say in public in front right. of other people, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> and you're sitting there going, the guy who's the host, right? James, cut the kid out right now. You don't, no, don't say his name. I, <laughs> Please don't say his name. One of my all-time favorites of that is the kid, you know, it was staged. He, he didn't, wasn't doing it intent or, or, or uh, accidentally. It was all intentional. But where he gets on and he's just, he, he never muted himself. And he's just like, yeah, what's the question is, mom, I'm on the phone. I told you, I'm in class. Shut up. Like he screamed. <laughs> and it's just, it's hysterical. Yes, and, and everybody's there going, oh, this uh, isn't going well. No, no. I just think like that that kid is my hero. That's hilarious. That's a, These yeah. things that happened in there, but yeah. it, there are things that we can accomplish with this technology that we never could have done before. And there are things that, you know, we're asking of people and a lot of them can rise to the occasion. A lot of them can pull victory out of the jaws of defeat. Well, and part of it too is I think it kind of your roundabout way it's it's the di digital literacy. Well, there's the re the, re the reality of making sure that everyone has the tools that they need to participate. And we talked about having you know internet access. I mean that's just you have to have that uh, either at designated locations or freely available to to everyone. I mean this goes back to uh, you know some people may not be aware, but every phone bill that you've ever paid. Uh, at least in North America, has had a tax, a small fee that goes to supplement rural um, for bringing phone service and something right. that's similar for rural internet service. And of course, 
uh, you know, we hopefully we're going to have solutions for that that are via satellite, which will solve a lot of those real-time satellite, uh, you know, internet access without having those massive latencies attached to it. But right. but so that digital literacy is a it's a problem within the corporate world, not just education. The continual need for training, for retraining. You can't like there's a new version of well like. So we're in online. There's always a new version of whatever that's out there. I mean, that's that's one of the actual frustrations is adapting to the evergreen software model, where it's just it's constantly green and there's always new. There's always something there, and so and there's now something that happens because correct. it's new. Well, the pushback was always when we were on premises, when we had that two to three year software cycle, the complaint was, and it was valid that innovation is not happening fast enough. Now we're in the evergreen model. People are saying, and it's a valid argument, the innovation is too much, it's too quick. Yeah. Give me yeah. a minute to figure out what just happened before yeah. you tell me what's about to happen. Right, and how do you, I mean, this is like, how do you maintain digital literacy in education when things are, are so this is a question for you. Like, how do you solve that? I, I will be five dollars if you can have an answer for this that can be applied globally. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. it depends on how much you're willing to spend, but it, yeah. it has to now. We have to start now. Yeah, and the earlier grades working it up, and then we have to apply certain standards to what's going to be. So when we are doing things for the fifth graders. The kids should have learned certain things to get them ready for the fifth grade demands. We can make minor changes to adapt to something new. We, you remember that when we went through stuff, you have incremental change and you have disruptive change, mm -hmm. right? We need to set up for internal, my opinion now, this is just our close talking, right? But I'm old and I've been around for a while. We need to be able to set up that we don't allow disruptive change to occur until we're ready for it. We can do the incremental, we can make adjustments. And then when something big comes along, that's a change, we need a year to prepare to take so, that jump. Here's the problem. Mm. So I agree with you, but that fundamentally has been how digital literacy, how in corporate at least, has like training is set up around that model. It's all around preparing for the digital disruption to information workers, primarily in this space, but now it's, it's right. a more broader audience. The difficulty for people is now the, the what's happened to incremental is that it is sped up. That's the yes. problem. We can we could tolerate a certain trickle of incremental improvements, but when it's a deluge. And when there's no way to turn off the faucet. When every month somebody adds something new to your Microsoft Teams and we're and and 10%, 20% of the teachers are like, this thing is so cool. You know, y'all need to be doing it. And we're going, I'm sorry, at the moment, I'm really trying to write a lesson plan, yeah. right? On this stuff, and my kids are not getting it. I don't have time to learn your new your new little thing, I'll get to it eventually. Yeah. You're right, that is it. And it is a problem for us to have to be able to say, because we want things to be better. But if we can tuck in the back of our mind, 
as these students learn more and more about what they, how to work online, learn more and more how to interact from a distance for distance learning, then the next thing will be a little easier for them to learn. The year and a half we spent, we came in in August this year, we actually took the teachers and spent almost two weeks with the teachers just saying, here's the new stuff we're gonna do this year when we begin. Yep. Hand goes up, uh, excuse me, Mr. Administrator or Ms. Administrator. Are anybody, did you send a note home to the kids and the families to explain that to them? Oh, we're gonna make an all call three days before school right. begins. Good. Right. And then we will explain it to them on the phone what they have to do and that they're getting a letter mailed. And you go, you do understand that in high school, most of the kids will delete that all call before their parents hear it because they don't want their parents to hear it. Right. Come on, boys and girls, get a grip. Well, there's, it just made me think of a couple things. I mean, one, uh, charter school um, that uh, was close to my home, they did for ki incoming kindergartners, they did a week that was still like late summer, but well before school began, where they could go and it was like half days, parents uh, went over in and could do something where they're over in the cafeteria learning about this is what your kids are to go through. Here's our teaching methodology around it. Here's the process for this. Here's how the progress, here's how you provide feedback. So you're training the parents. You're also letting the kids get a sample of each of those things. And it also allowed the teachers to preview like, here's my incoming class. Do I see some troublemakers? Do I see that where I might, might need to make some adjustments until I've got them for the, the longer day? I thought right. that was fantastic. Similar to that in parallel is like in the MBA program where there is a class that talks about preparing for the final project. So it's a class where you're learning about how to properly write and research and prepare for, I guess, Something research then, right? Two years from now, right? right. Yep. And you're working on that. And, and we did do some of that. I mean, I had actually parents could sign into my class and monitor their child, but also could actually monitor the class every day. And sometimes those parents contact you and go, I'm having a problem. Can you help me with this? Yeah. Mm, yes. Yes, I can, because I'm told that I have to be able to do that for you because we haven't hired enough people to make sure that this is done, too. There's human beings have got to figure out what we're going to do because technology is going to continue to get faster as we yeah. one of the things that i go over is the fact that a thousand years ago right so we are in the year 1021 okay there were bows and arrows there was a spear you could throw a rock yeah. we could build some buildings up to about five or six stories high before they fell over because of the wind yeah. You get any idea where we are now in just a thousand years? But right now, the difference between when I was born, okay, and the fact that during my lifetime, we went from almost no one had a TV yeah. to black and white TV to color TV to landing on the moon while we had only black and white TVs, right? To, you know, um, this is just something that you look at and say, it was only 66 years between the time that we've had our first acknowledged flight by the Wright brothers 
till we landed on the moon, 66 years. Yeah. That should make people step back and say, whoa, once we started to figure out technology, it has been a fire hose turned on. Yeah. And what we haven't done is psychologically kept up with it. Yeah. Our human beings can do a lot, yeah. but we don't always know how to plan for it. The ethics that go with, can, is it okay to clone a human being? We're saying no. Is somebody out there probably done it? I would bet you that five bucks you bet me that it's been done already. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How did it turn out? We don't know because we haven't heard about it yet. But and back in here, when we're about another 50, 60 years, somebody's going to write a book about how somebody did something that they should not have done. So what and you're saying that, is Jurassic Park could really happen. That's oh, what yeah. I'm hearing you say. Mm -hmm. So I just want to confirm. And it's not necessarily going to be a good thing for all well, of us I, to reintroduce. It, it, it didn't play out so well in the movie. So I don't anticipate no. the So tuck in the back of your mind, you definitely do not want to get rid of the A-10, which carries the Gao-8 Gatling gun, because yeah. there isn't a dinosaur made that could survive that 30 yeah. millimeter gun. That's right. Right? You want something that can rip stuff up. And if you're going to dabble in things you shouldn't dabble in, we yeah. do not want predators that are dangerous. Most of the predators that were dangerous to humans, we've already killed. Yeah. Well, they're delicious. So why wouldn't we kill them? Well, they're also, they, they, they kept yeah. eating our kids when we yeah. were in the cave and we decided enough was enough. We've left a few of them, but most of them know not to touch humans. When we're looking at this technology and it's going to continue to grow, we really need technology leaders. I've been saying for a while, you know, why do we let teachers, we give them a book, teach algebra one to students. For some of them, it's a piece of cake. For some of them, it's really hard. Hmm. Now I've got this entire Hollywood down there, which are creative people who figure out how to take something and turn it into a story. Why do I not to hire Hollywood to write me a really engaging fifth grade math class. Yeah. And then the teacher can make modifications based on where you are, but kind of everybody gets this story because we know yeah. that stories are much more engaging. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's I've been think, saying this for a decade. When you think back of like the most memorable classes, it, it's you know, it's actually for middle school, there is a fairly common thread of uh, interest around eighth grade social studies. Mm -hmm. Because those teachers generally, and the material they're working with, you know, can be you know a wide variety of things that you cover uh, of modern, you know, geopolitical things and historical aspects of that, and so anthropology and psychology and sociology, kind of all within that. Um, it, it, but they're usually some of the most animated teachers. So I've just I've noticed that you know, throughout most of my life, it was one of my favorite. Classes. In fact, when I was when I moved back to the Bay Area uh, in the mid '90s, I went back to my. I grew up there. I went back to my middle school in Danville, California, and two of my old teachers, including my social studies teacher, he says he he remembered me. I know he didn't. However, I hung out with two individuals that he remembered them. <laughs> There's no doubt he remembered them because of the problems that they created. Yes. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, it was great just to catch up with them and talk about that. But talking with other friends that from other schools, the other part of the U.S., and how they talked about, oh, yeah, eighth grade social studies. In fact, one of my closest friends at the high school, 
That's like, that's what he wanted to become. That's what he became was a social I, studies teacher. I in high remember school. my eighth grade social studies teacher, Ms. Greer. I can yeah. remember her name. I, I could hardly name any other teachers in my 12 years. I could, yeah. probably, but Ms. Greer, yep. because they started explaining the world to you. Right. And they talked to you like you could understand it, right. which your parents weren't always doing. And they would start to open this up. This is the kind of stuff as we take a look and we can bring the technology. So all of a sudden, yeah. During this period of time, I could not take the kids on a field trip to Precision Fabrics, okay? A special niche uh, company that makes really custom fabrics, including things you use in an airplane wing to help store fuel, okay? So these guys are, these guys are high technology in a specialized field. They come and they hire my students, but I couldn't take my students over there during this. But what we could do is we could go over there, film, and then we could, using the technology, yep. have basically a, a virtual walkthrough explanations. But that, the thing that we didn't have yeah. was the high-def cameras. We didn't have oh, somebody yeah. who could well, make see, that's, it really that's exciting yet. That is, that is really tough. Like, I go back and look at, and I still have images and videos that were on four or five PCs back that I have moved on to the newer stuff. And I go and look at them, and of course, the pixel they're tiny it's it's sort of blow it up it's grainy versus the high def that we have there now but no but on the the video the content as an educational tool i think that is one thing that is transcended commercial corporate federal the government systems as well as education is that video content i, I, I mean every week there's something like for for me like problems with our ac unit what's the first place i go to YouTube to look up for my model. And I found a dozen videos of troubleshooting AC unit inside and outside the house around that thing. That is becoming kind of the de facto way that we are community communicating the rich things. And that also answers some of the synchronous versus asynchronous collaboration issues. If there are students that can't uh, you know, in person or live in real time. So they're, they can't participate in the synchronous communication. All of those resources are captured. So they've got the asynchronous. As we said earlier, we had to, we have to record these things and then the kids can watch it. And I actually was giving grades. The kid wouldn't even show up for class. Couldn't it? But then I had to give them like 24 hours to watch the video and if they watch a video, I had to give them a grade like they had attended class. Now, could the little darling, right, yeah. ask me a question? No, they could email me one. Does that make my life much more difficult because I'm still teaching yesterday's class or last week's class at the time I'm trying to teach today's class? Yeah. Yes. Do I, Does my administration think that that's okay to do? Sure. Are they out of their ever-loving minds? You yeah. bet they are. Yeah. Right? There's got... We're going to work better ways, but the other thing that we got to do, one of the things that's becoming really new is customizing the teaching to the needs of the particular right. student, well, that, rather that, than you, teaching the same right. thing to 30 people at once. And then catering to the slowest person in the room. Look, that. I, so I had a different high school experience. So I, I skipped two grades. I started at university at 15, and, and it wasn't because I was um, super brain around it, it's because the education model that was made available it was experimental. It was only like three or four years that they offered it. 
and it didn't pick up enough. So they shut it down. And I was right within that window where I had a one-on-one tutor come out and meet the house the first year, the second year I went to her, but I went at my speed. So there are some topics where I could read, I could consume, I could take the test done and i moved through those topics very quickly and others where i needed to go in fact i went and took classes at the community college around some some different topics in math and science that just and that gave you them. extra time on those subjects Correct. That were hard because you were able to clear exactly the, the ones that were easy for you yep you could spend more time on the calculus now the, 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 the reality is to your point you can't just you ask teachers to take what has been, you know, the, 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 the model for education of the past and make that work. Cause you just illustrated the point is if it's asynchronous education, there's, there's this thing that we understand about what happens if multitasking is a lie that you are unproductive. Oh. How much time does it take you to refocus elsewhere now have 30 students 50 students, whatever it is that's in your class for the school 154 year, this year, 154 students all coming at you at different speeds and around that. So that the you know, was the education model of the old built towards keeping everybody at the same level, holding some people down, propping others up, um, right. but maintaining that. And speed. It, it worked okay, given how much we were willing to invest in education at a time we didn't have really any other options. The only right. other options would be personal yeah. tutors. You, you know what this is just like is in Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if you yes. know that one. So I love that, that story where he talks about, um, because I completely, being a late year in October birthday, I started kindergarten when I was four years old. So I was never able to, in a lot of the teams, to play with the people that were my grade because um, other other kids that were held back. In fact, if I had, except for where I lived in California, anywhere else I lived the rest of my life, my kids, they would not have allowed them to start. They, I would have had to wait a whole nother year to start. Right. Then I would have been one of the older kids, one of the bigger kids in the class, in theory, <laughs> and and then would have dominated at sports and all that all that other kind of stuff, you know? And so that it's the same thing. We need to solve for that for education then this is a challenge taking a look at technology to, to say because it still turns out that one of the biggest gifts we have is that teachers who really want to teach who have that gift like that social studies teacher one moment that social studies teacher who grabbed your attention but you know that that's happened in other courses there's a yeah. science teacher who at least on one particular part of your science course you went whoa this is oh, yeah. so cool right yeah and then there's the person who was teaching you it and you went and all of a sudden the eyes got big and you went you mean i could do all of this yeah and it yeah and it, it opens yes we're we're not there yet with our ability to help educators we're relying on them to try to adapt and this is where technology will eventually need some help and we talked about that just a little while ago we really need people who are going to step back now and say, we have things we've never had before. Let's reevaluate the education system. Right. Let's reevaluate how certain tools will be used, right? 
I come from, a, I'm a former test pilot. You know that. I it was in B-52s and did things, right? You talked for a moment there about the fact that there are, th that multitasking is a lie, right? They took Air Force pilots and they said to them, let's see how many things you can do and not kill yourself. And it turns out it's about one and a half to two, right? Because there are just too many other things happening at the same time. And all of a sudden you get overwhelmed and you start making mistakes. When we take a look at where we're trying to take our students, what we're trying to accomplish as a society, we really need somebody up there who's starting to say, how is this technology gonna be better integrated so that it actually accomplishes the mission? Wouldn't it be great? Uh, when I teach people how to drive a forklift at four, 14 or 15 years old, that forklift weighs more than an F-150 pickup truck and we would not let them drive an F-150 pickup truck right. at 14 years old, but I'm gonna put them in there. And it's because, you know, a hundred years ago, even less, a 13 year old was an adult. Yeah. And it turns out that the kids can do a lot more. We've started to baby them because it's easier to keep that system working where they go ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, and now they can go to college. And we've been throwing flags up on the play saying, you know, there's a lot of people who go to college, they get into debt, they either don't finish college or they finish college, they got a lot of debt, and then they work in a completely different field that had nothing to do with the college education. Yeah, that's, that's me. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then- Well, I, that, I guess in a roundabout way, I'm a marketing degree in MBA, but I've been in tech for 30 years. And, and so a lot of what I was doing, I, I think my MBA actually, I always refer to that, uh, that program uh, as being a project management degree. Yes. It, it was very, because of the team centric in every class following that pattern, team project, like every week there was a team project and there Deadlines. was an individual project and papers and papers and papers, you know, uh, you know, out of that, but, but, it, was very, well. but it was very yeah. project management centric. It was. Yeah. And I think when we take a look it what it, for that, it was actually a little pressure. I actually think they did a good job of getting people ready to be leaders in the current corporate environment because you can communicate well, because you understand you have to work with people. You understand that there are different types of people and yeah. modifying. But the same thing also kind of happens in school. When we put you as 20 kids in the class with me, I'm way different than most of their teachers. They have to adapt to me. Yeah, I, I can adapt a little bit for them, but I still got to meet my deadlines. I still, they've got to be ready for that hundred question test that I've never seen because we've decided that teachers should not know what's on the final exam. <laughs> Somebody in the state should write the final exam. The kids yeah. should take it. And then we will judge the teacher on whether or not the kids answered the questions correctly. Yeah. And the teachers are like, how do I know what the heck you asked them? Well, we don't want you teaching to the test. I never taught to the test. What I did was I taught, and then I need to know, did you ask anything that was related to what I was teaching? Or in a way, because one of the other big things that we've learned, Christian, is that I can teach a kid what they need to know, they can be good at it, but you as an adult can walk up to that student, ask a question in an entirely different way than I've been asking them, and the kid will look right. at you and go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yep. And that became really clear to me 
when I was educating, because in my field, I started bringing in the advanced placement students into career technical education. Normally, if you got a kid with a 1.5 GPA in your courses for CTE, you were doing good, right? 0.7, and the kid was still a freshman but was 18 years old, right? Those were kids you used to get. Well, I started getting kids with 5.2 GPAs out of a 6.0. Now, when I say 6.0, I mean 4.0 is an A, but they were able to go beyond that all the way up to a six with their AP courses. Yep. My student with a 5.2 took his first test with me and got a B. Walks up to me and said, Mr. Close, in my entire life, I never got a B on a test. This is how I got to where I am, right? And I go, well, I'm sorry, you don't speak adult yet. So when I am talking, perhaps maybe, you should raise your hand and say, could you clarify or translate for me what that means? Yeah. Rather than assuming that I'm going to ask you the question the way your English teacher does or your social studies AP teacher does. Yeah. And this is one of the things that's really what we got to do too, is you guys are going to be hiring these people. Yeah. Yeah. And when you do, wouldn't it be nice if they could communicate with you if they understood and if they learned how to learn? Well, that's as your method will be different than mine. I would say that, and I can say this with surety of, of my current company and our uh, culture and the hiring is we put a premium on communication. So that's something we specifically look for because exactly to that point is we know, hey, we can hire somebody that may not have all of the experiences of other candidates, but if they are a good community, if they're smart and they can communicate well they can be very successful. You can learn technology. You can learn process. Like that, that's the easy stuff. It's difficult to learn to be a good communicator. Mm -hmm. And it, it's interesting that we assume that because people have made it to age 18, that they've learned how to communicate because we, but it turns out the little darlings, <laughs> they've got a preconceived set of notions. They have built-in bias. They have things we need to be able to address so that they begin to better understand the way you said that isn't going to go well. Right. Right. Well, I just said the words, but the tone also matters. Yeah. Big well, I, I like to think, uh, you know, as a father of four that, I mean, that, that has actually been a theme of discussion with my kids when they were growing up, they're all adults now and, and they're very good at communicating and out there, but I, like a struggle, like what, one of my boys, um, and, uh, Preston, if you're listening, yes, I'm talking about you who sometimes I think like, are you trying to hear the words differently? Like you're reading things into it. Just listen to what I'm saying, you know, kind of thing. I had too many of those kinds of conversations with them as a teenager He's much improved now. He's doing well. Well, it, it's the kind of thing that, you know, and, one of the things I like to say is that these people who didn't fit into the custom or the standardized approach to education, mm -hmm. they're the ones who are changing the world, right? There are people, you, you were not my standard student in the MBA. I did not fit in with the standard school system. No, but on the other hand, you are definitely one of my most brilliant and you are somebody who's then gone forth and you've made changes in the way people communicate, your writing is outstanding. You you put the effort into that. Um, when I turn around and I say, 
I meet teachers who don't get along with their administrators, mm. but dear God, they are good with kids. Yeah. And then I look at the administrators and go, the point is the teacher should be good with kids. Whether they get along with you is a right. side right. issue. But, stop, right. stop that, trying to- That's exactly, a, in, in the corporate world, it's those, those, there are, and we all know who they are, the managers that are great, fantastic at managing up and should never manage another human being in their right. lives. Actually, we had at United Airlines, we used to hire people out of Stanford mm-hmm. who, were, who had their MBA. They were extremely good at maybe the math or the analysis programs that they had to work on, but they would never, ever have a team working for them. Yeah. They would be an adjunct to a uh, one or two groups. I- because they couldn't really communicate well with other human beings. I know it's slightly off topic, but I think that that is a trend that we're actually seeing in decline now. Uh, the it was the automatic the Harvard, Stanford, and California, you know, Ber- Berkeley. I mean, honestly, I mean, I was more impressed with Stanford grads than Berkeley uh, and uh, Cal Poly were always really sharp and I thought more dynamic candidates that came through there. But you know, I've, I've seen that with other companies, the, the phone company at, at HP, at Microsoft, where they would hire based on the pedigree. And it was that. It was just the nightmare managers that they would we, elevate we into about- these programs, have them on these fast track programs into senior management and were awful, awful managers. And they, and they would wreck what had otherwise been a good team that was producing and these kinds of things are stuff we lived through. But you and I, when we went through, I, I used to talk about that. I used to say, you know, the main object of, of being a manager is to support other people's productivity, not to have them right. justify themselves to you, yep. not to be there to support your career. If right. you can get them productive, that is going to support your career. That was- but we do have a major problem. In the fact that we go out, even in education, we hire someone with a PhD who yeah. came from a school we consider to be awesome. And that person burned through an entire staff that we had spent 10 years. Like in my CTE department, we had a great working group of people. Yeah. There's only two left. Well, so and- what I understand is what I understand about a lot of the educational programs, like the curriculum is there. Like it's structured, it's there. I actually uh, was starting in the process to go and teach for virtual through uh, BYU Idaho, and they were looking for, and there was an, a wind, an opportunity for a marketing teacher. And I said, well, this was when I was independent. And so with my client caseload, I could do that. And I'm looking into it. And I ultimately, it felt it wasn't for me for a couple different different reasons. Um, time-wise, things were heating up, but... Uh, one of the things that I re- realized that they were doing was that the marketing subject matter expertise was secondary. And for those that don't know, in the marketing sphere, BYU-Idaho has actually won tons of awards. Microsoft does lots of hiring out of BYU-Idaho. Like, I had no idea. I kept seeing these BYU-Idaho grads when I was at Microsoft, like, coming in. I'm like, what's going on? It's like, oh, well, yeah, Microsoft heavily recruits because the marketing program is excellent there. But marketing expertise knowledge is secondary to you being a teacher and a communicator, which was awesome to see that even in their, you know, uh, I look at it as like overflow teaching 
for the online programs that they were looking to you know, staff and, mm -hmm. and pull, pull help for, um, which I think is, I mean, I know you and I agree on that standpoint is, again, just like you can find a candidate who is smart and who it can, communicates well, can learn the other stuff, the technology and process. Similarly, a number of companies are looking at that now. It yep. is much more rather than me bring in somebody who supposedly has the, that level of expertise. If I can get myself somebody who can learn these uh, specifics that I need for the job, but already know how to show up on time, yeah. know how not to cause an argument, not only with their coworkers, but not with the supervisor, their manager, who can follow through on a deadline and meet or beat it. These, what they call the soft skills, have become as or more important than the hard skills because many companies say, I can teach a person enough math to do the job I need them to do because right. usually the math for that particular job is limited to a specific thing. Unless, of course, you're at Lawrence Livermore Labs and you're a nuclear physicist, in which case you better be good at a lot of math. Yeah. I have no I, idea what you're talking about. I've heard that. Yeah, I know it's uh, that was one thing is it's it's funny where where I was living there. Um, folks that don't know. So I lived when I was going to school and where I where I met art. I was living in Brentwood, California, which is due north of Livermore, California, which is where Lawrence Livermore Livermore Laboratory is. It's one of the facilities where like the bomb was created. And All right, one of the three one of the major three. nuclear facilities yeah. for the united states so i would drive by but i had a lot of people in my neighborhood that worked it at larry's lab you know down the road and uh yeah it, it's uh it was great to interact and hear some of the stories and being in it um just like talking with with anybody that's dedicated in a sector i, I i'm a uh a horizontal solution guy so i'm working across all of those but to go in in-depth i mean i i love talking with my daughter now about the healthcare sector and her work there and dig it in. I'm fascinated by the level of detail. I have this horizontal, high level horizontal perspective of so much of that and to go in depth into that and technology, just same with the, the, the pure STEM subject matter. Hey, can you imagine if our healthcare system was as good at collecting information about individuals in the healthcare system as Facebook is at collecting information oh, about you, yeah. right? Right. Can you imagine if we built something that was that good? Just, that, you know, just wait, Art. Just wait. They're gonna buy. <laughs> There's gonna be an M and A surge, and they're gonna. I, I'm. I'm not even joking. Watch as they go enter into some industries. Like yes. it, it's gonna happen. Yeah. It's kind of like when we talked about before, people who had lines started going over to Disney to find out how do I keep the people from feeling that they're in the line because I can't, I'm not going to go hire a lot more people, but if I can just, because these lines go up, these lines go down, I just need to keep them somehow forgiven that they're in the line. Right. So right. I go to the expert, right? But then we talked about the idea, that's really kind of nice, but it really probably Disney's approach isn't going to work if you are at a funeral and you're at a wake. Right. I, I don't need to see more dead people <laughs> along the way. And unfortunately for us, we have managers that would say, well, if it works in one place, it will work in all. Yeah. Right. And in actuality, if we could just spend some more time with management 
understanding that the point is to help the rest of the world be productive, yeah. not to get further up the ladder. If we understand that the point of any organization is to help human society, we stop doing stupid stuff. And here's where we cut round back because I've kept the on. Yeah, I was going to say, like, in our, so like <laughs> the three takeaways, like solve the world's education problems in three, uh, in three takeaways there, Art, go. We have to reconsider how education is going to be given from here into the future. We've been dealing with something that was built a couple hundred years ago, and we've been working with it, right? Yeah. Polishing that thing. But we've, we have so much disruptive change. We got to do that. The next thing is we've got to change what teaching is. We still need the expert in there. Uh, but we, as you had mentioned, it is much less about the expertise as it is about the ability to communicate with your particular kind of students. Uh, one of the big things that I was an eye opener for me was when an administrator said to me an assistant principal said, you know, our, we, you and I agree a lot about all these things. Do you know that when we go into our training for principals, that they talk about the fact that you can always replace a teacher with another teacher? And I said, no. And he said, definitely you can't. There are teachers for this, and I know this because I've gone to four different high schools and each high school, I got to understand that community, that community to be able to better communicate. So we still got to be able to pull in people with a level of expertise, but we got to start working a little harder on communication. And that's another part, part three. Online is different than face-to-face. -face. And we got to figure out how we're going to help figure out who's going to be good. You talked about those charter schools. They get to be a little more selective about who they have. And if you don't fit in, I went to Catholic schools. If you didn't do the things that the Catholic school required of the parents and the students, you didn't get to go there. You can go back to public school. Right. Well, I, I've just spent 16 years in public schools. I will put my top public school students against the top students in any charter school or any private school. My best students can go head to head with any of them. Hmm. My problem is that I'm not pulling enough of them because we have to handle so much in a public school that the other people don't have to handle. And it burns resources like that. We have to reconsider, is it really best to do these things that, you know, they came up, mainstreaming is wonderful. Well, that in certain cases, it's fine. But my experience is it doesn't work for everyone. Right. There are uh, there are certain courses or certain groups where that mainstreaming wouldn't be the best course. Putting, for instance, as a teacher, if you gave me the students with a 0.7 GPA, right, out of a 4.0, I'm gonna. If you gave me a whole class of those, I can approach them using a set of skills that will work for most of them. But if I have a 0.7 up to a 5.0 in there. If I spend time talking to that 0.7, that 5.0 student is like, please, somebody put me out of my misery. Put put an ice pick right through my eye. I can't take it anymore. Right. Right. And then we we thought that was going to be good because it would help everybody come. But our problem is we pull some of the top down to pull some of the bottom up. And society, we really want the top runners to run like that. Right. And we we want to pull others up. And so it doesn't hurt to have a few now and then that can get along, but let's pick them based on their personality. So did that help with the three? Yeah.
technology can be a wonderful thing. It's going to help us a lot, but we really have to change the rest of education to make technology able to do what it's capable of. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Art Close, really appreciate the time today. It's great to catch up as well. And uh, yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to do this again and and then talk about you know of management people management specifically because um, I could I could dig in I, like if we just did a topic you and I talking about it if you've not read it um, my my favorite management book besides the goal I absolutely love that but is uh, uh, first break all the rules by uh, uh, um, oh, crap what just his name just escaped me but anyway first break all Marcus Buckingham. There we go. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you've not read that art, go read it. It is my management philosophy. It's how I built teams uh, and uh, highly recommend that. But uh, maybe we make that our next one and we'll maybe later this fall. Let's let's get back together and do another session. His name is Marcus Buckingham. Okay. Yeah. Buckingham. Nope. I had read the Elihu Goldratt. You know that I was into yep. heavily the gurus. And I'm really old, so some of those gurus are now dead. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for your time. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Club Talk podcast. It was a pleasure. Good to talk to you again. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. You can find us online at collabtalk.com, as well as on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.